In association with nzhikes.co.nz, welcome to Bushwhacked, not the wrestlers, light-hearted tales of adventure from the wilds of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Alright, dear listeners, welcome to episode 6 of Bushwhacked, Not the Wrestlers. I'm one host, Cam Clark. Joining me as always, Mark Wilson. Mark, how are you today? Well, kia ora, namaste, Mr. Clark, and kia ora, namaste to everyone that's been listening. And it's kind of strange at first, I thought this was just going to be us talking to each other, just like a normal conversation on the phone, because there would be no one else listening. Uh, But had the odd person say the odd comment and it's very cool very humbling so thank you very much for those that have listened and those that haven't listened well you can't hear this so <laughs> i won't say anything to you <laughs> yes well i just want to join in mark there and thanking uh, our listeners for making us the 66th most popular podcast in the travel and adventure category of podcasts in canada according to itunes yes Yes. We've made it, Cam. We did it. We've made it. We did it. (laughs) So we'd like to conclude now. We just want to stop on, on, you know, the top and... um... (laughs) Always finish leaving your audience more. This this was always going to be a bespoke podcast of six limited episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, very good. Very good. Um, also, dear listeners, we're all, me and Mark are both really excited. We 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 got new mics. Santa was Santa was good to both of us. He was he was northern and southern hemispheres, which is quite a remarkable feat when you think about how far away things are, the distances <laughs> he's got to cover, uh, and then the fact that he's doing it all on wild animals using uh, two leather straps to control them. That's oh, fantastic, and mm, uh, thank you, Santa. Thank you, Santa. Um, my, one of my favorite differences between North, Northern Hemisphere Santa and Southern Hemisphere Santa is that Northern Hemisphere Santa drinks milk, whereas Southern Hemisphere Santa drinks beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beer or whiskey or something like that. Yeah, we always. Um, I, uh, I suggested leaving beer out for Southern Hemisphere Santa uh, to my wife, uh, and she, uh, she nixed that. Uh, she said uh, that was inappropriate for the children to, to, to think that Santa would be drinking that much beer in one night. And drink driving. To be honest. Drink <laughs> yeah, time, exactly. It's, it's irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, we like to. Well, you've got a responsible center. Ours not so responsible. Uh, also, your your center is landing um, his sleigh onto a nice bed of snow, um, whereas our guy he's just sort of grinding along the ground because uh, it's forecast tomorrow to actually get up to around thirty degrees, and we've had a couple of quite hot days. Um, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, so it's been in the swing of summer. And from what I've seen on the news, uh, Cameron, the Northern Hemisphere doing it tough this winter, by the sounds of it. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty cold. We had uh, we had, it's funny. I, I was actually personally affected by the weather. We had uh, an auntie and uncle that couldn't couldn't drive in from Minnesota because uh, they got forty miles forty miles in, and then had to turn around because of the snowstorm. So. Wow, to, eat, yeah. to leave and then have to turn back is a yeah. 
You know, yeah, it's, know. it's getting rough. I know. We're really dating the uh, recording time of the podcast. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. If, if anybody's confused, uh, we, we front-loaded a bunch of episodes right at the start. Uh, but uh, we're at the point now where we're only maybe a couple of weeks ahead. So you listeners, you're going to start uh, ca- catching up. Um, yeah. So this is Christmas. This one will probably be released about a month from now. So you're only a month behind, listeners, of real time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure what we talk about is all relevant no matter what time of the year it's talked about. Oh, of course. It's and done. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, uh, our interesting tales, of course, everyone will be listening to, I'm sure. And with that, that being said, Cam, um, I think we should start to move on to, uh, well, the first part of the podcast that we always talk about. Oh, yes. Now, Mark, are you able to give us a Mark Injury Update? Yes, I can. <laughs> so, um, it almost seemed like um, things were sort of just going nowhere and there was no real answer. Um as we know that throughout the year, things have not quite gone to plan. Um, so I had steroid injections into bulges and discs in my spine yep. and all sorts of other fun things. Um, then I start, saw the chiropractor and things started to get a little bit more positive. It's good to be told, I think that you're going to be okay at the end of this as opposed to, I've got no idea what's going on. And um, that's coming from the uh, health professionals, which is yes. reassuring. Yes, so, so you had your you had your physio who you were seeing, who was also your ACC contact, I believe. Yes. And then your chiropractor yes. who was giving you the most relief out of anything. Yeah, that's right. Just, um, so over the last couple of weeks, it's just been a lot of rehab. So doing uh, yoga, never thought I'd be a person who does yoga, um, but doing a little bit of that. Also, having the use of a hyperbaric chamber. Ooh, so, just like uh, Goku and Vegeta in Dragon Ball Z. Well, I was going to say Michael Jackson, but um, they're probably a better example because, um, yeah, you see what happened to Michael Jackson. We're not going to go any further on that. Um, oh, wait, now that I think about it, stri- I, I think that was a hyperbolic time chamber in, in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, same, same. Okay. I mean, I've noticed my hair just exploding into blonde and stuff. Anyway, anyway. Um, so this little chamber, um, it's kind of like a small tent, if you think of a small tent, and you go in it and then all sorts of noises happen. It goes to pressure, and uh, then you stay in there for about 45 minutes or so. Um, and so... Wow. That's Yeah, I feel like it is probably doing something just due to the fact that I'm doing more things. So um, that's that's quite good. Uh, and then awesome. on this this pain recovery program thing that we talked about last time. So getting a bit of info about that, um, how to sort of handle things, not just physically, but also in your mind and how to sort of carry on with daily life, which has been quite good. So really, they give you yeah. the, uh, the the mental health aspect of it as well as the physical health aspect. That's a big thing in um, Aotearoa, New Zealand at the moment is um, sort of focusing on mental health. Um, a big thing is, as you can imagine, like the men side of things, mm-hmm. the normal New Zealand male doesn't have any issues because she's right, will get on with it, which um, for a lot of people, it's probably the worst thing they can do, but then they go their entire life just putting everything aside and 
not um, not pushing their problems onto other people. I guess is probably the most polite way of saying it. But yeah, well, yeah we, not a good thing to do. Yeah, we 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 like to talk about culture a lot on this podcast, um, which I actually quite like because I, I find it interesting. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is the uh, the classic Kiwi male mentality of uh, mm. oh, stop whinging, stop whinging about mm. it. Just just get on with things. And yeah. um, that's that's currently why farmers are what is it I think five times more likely to take their own lives sadly in New Zealand. Um, and farming being one of the major um, jobs in Aotearoa New Zealand, it really is yeah. a land of farmers. And then the farmers are affected so drastically these days about the price of say the milk or whatnot. Yeah. So uh, yeah, as you said. Yeah, it's one of the most stressful jobs and it's a job you need help with. And if you're not getting the help with the job and you're not getting your help with your mental health, yeah. Now I've been reading lots of story, lots of horror stories about it lately, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so it's important, folks, just to talk to people. Um, I had a rant the other day, which I sort of kept bailed up inside and it does feel good afterwards. You feel like, it, I think for me, it made me feel like... Um, my problems were pretty pathetic when it's all said and done mm-hmm. and there's a bigger thing. But when I was keeping that balled up inside, um, it feels like your problems are the biggest ones on the planet and there is no bigger problem than yours and boo-hoo, so you're feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. And so it felt like that until, you know, you let it out and then you actually feel a lot better about it. So talk to each other, team. Talk yeah. to each other. Yeah, agreed. So you're getting these treatments. You've got your you got your your physio, and your yep. yoga, and your hyperbolic and the, time chamber, um, and the osteopath, and the osteopath. Now, what does the osteopath do? So, um, oh, sorry, chiropractor. So chiropractor. chiropractor. Yes, yes, your magician, your sorcerer, the chiropractor. Yes. yes. Yeah. So he's <laughs> he's the dude who um, no idea what's going on. He's putting all sorts of like vibrating things on my head and all sorts. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll um, just sort of accept that with a little mm. with a little grain of salt. That part of it, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um yeah. I mean, so when he it, casts the spell. <laughs> is it to Beelzebub that he prays, or is it to uh, Leviathan? I'm just curious. Uh, yep, <laughs> those things. <laughs> At this stage, you probably would make a deal with a demon to uh, get back up and around. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So if there is any, you know... Any sacrifices I need to... Anyway. If there are any demons listening... Uh, <laughs> fan of the podcast. always fa- listening, Cam. They're fan of the listening. podcast, Bel Hamach. <laughs> oh, this is skewed off in a really strange direction. It's, uh, so where are you... Where are you sorry, I'm getting distracted. Where, where, where are you at with the treatments then? So the treatments are ongoing. You're just getting more yep. of them. And it, it seems yep. to be working. It seemed, and, and just keeping on it, uh, I think a, a, a thing I didn't do very well uh, when I first hurt myself was just keeping that routine going, of yeah. moving and that. And like yoga, for me, it was almost like you know, like taking a bath. To me, taking a bath is like you're just sitting there. That's boring. I'm sort yeah. of someone who needs to always be on the move. So I always look at yoga as being just like going into weird positions. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's amazing how beneficial it is just to stretch everything out. And... Also, um, I, I love, I used to do uh, hot yoga uh, for a while. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Um, and it was, uh, at the time it was called Bikram hot yoga. It's not called that anymore because the, uh, the founder got in trouble. 
but um, basically you're in a room for an hour and a half and you're not allowed to leave and uh, you do yoga in this in this room and it's the exact same order of poses every single time and so mm. it becomes like a contest with yourself when you get up to one of the poses that you're good at and you go like oh how much deeper can i go this time and then it's like mm. i remember i had this one pose that involved stretching your back completely backwards like in a half moon so like chest puffed out back bent and all of a sudden mm. one day i got it so deep that it felt like it clicked into a different place and it just like yes. locked into this really cool full extension that i'd never been able to do before so um yeah that's where i found the fun in yoga so keep it up it's really mm. good activity it's good for you absolutely absolutely yeah. every every now and then though go a little bit too far and um well don't do that it, but no don't, don't, yeah, don't do that yeah it's just working out the limits that's, that's what i'm gonna do at the moment now mark um i've got a uh, recurring segment uh before we get into the main juice of the story now uh i'm gonna call this segment research corner Now, on the last episode of Research Corner, we learned uh, quite a lot about uh, some of the local uh, flora of uh, Mark's area, the horrid Spaniard. Now, in the last episode, Mark introduced us uh, to the uh, namu, or sandfly. Now, mm. I've done a little bit of research, listeners, and um, uh, this uh, episode of Research Corner, uh, a podcast within a podcast, if you will, um, I'm going to be dipping into mythology. So if you'll allow me, uh, Mark, I'd uh, oh, of course. like to Go tell ahead. you a little story of uh, the origins of Namu, the sandfly of Aotearoa. Now, this is called a Pakiwaitara. It's a Maori story that explains an aspect of the natural world. Now once, when the world was young, Namueria, leader of the sandflies, committed quite the offence, because he stole the ha, or spiritual essence, from Tumatoinga, the Māori god of war. Now, Tumatoinga, being the god of war, responded appropriately to this theft, and immediately killed Namueria. Now, Tumatoinga is the god of war, but he's also the god of people. And I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know about uh, how the ancient Māori saw the world. So Namueria, of course, being the leader of the sandflies, there were a lot of sandflies very upset at this insult that they saw as to the god of war is doing. So Namu, the next leader of the sandflies, got his brothers together and he said, we're going to get Utu, vengeance against the children of uh, two, the humans. And he enlisted the help of one of his allies, Wairoa, the mosquito, and they joined forces against the races of man. Now Wairoa laid out a plan to his buddy Namu, and he said, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go at night. There's lots of us. There's not that many of them. We're going to get in there. We're going to creep in without being seen, and we're going to stab them, and we're going to get them good. It's going to be great. They're going to slap themselves when they hear us. They're not going to get us because they can't see anything. It's going to be great. Now, Namu was a little bit less chill than Wairama. Namu's like, no way! We'd go now during the day. I need Utu, 
my brothers want vengeance, we want blood, we're going. If you're going to wuss out, not come with us, well, that's on you. And without a word, Namu just left, attacked during the day. Sure enough. Glorious battle. Lots of blood, lots of attacks. But of course, lots of retribution from the humans who would slap at the sandflies as they attacked. Now, Wairoa, the mosquito, he just watched in silence, watched as all this was happening. And as Namu sort of stumbled back, you know, wounded, war-weary, with the rest of his surviving brothers, just as it was turning to night, and he said, Look! Look what I did! Look at the blood we have drawn today. What a great victory. And Wairoa just smiled and started singing a song. And this particular song, as we hear the mosquitoes still sing today, was a song of vengeance, but also had a mocking undertone to Namu's unintelligent style of attack. And at night, the mosquitoes flew in. And as you can imagine, listeners, they inflicted many a horrible wound on the humans. And as predicted by Wairoa, those slaps barely killed any of them. And as dawn rose over the earth, the mosquitoes returned with very few killed. But even more injuries had been inflicted on the humans. And Wairoa still continues his song today. And Namu still headstrong, attacks in the day and loses many of his brothers. But the humans, we have one ally who's joined us in our fight, Mahuika, the goddess of fire, who protects us. Because if you stay close to her, those mosquitoes and those sandflies, they won't bother you, listeners. And that's the story of Namu and Wairoa, mosquitoes and sandflies. Wow. What do you think wow. of that? That's awesome. And that's a lot different uh, to to the mythology that you talk about when guiding, because we kind of bring in places, and it just shows that throughout time, a lot of Māori mythology, because it's not written down, mm-hmm. it, it all gets altered and changed to suit sort of thing. Um, so the story that, that you would hear, say, in Pio Pio Tahi Milford Sound, completely different, um, still involves what the uh, Tanamu, the sandfly, does, mm-hmm. which is a inflict a lot of <laughs> bloodshed. Can uh, confirm, yes, yes, can confirm. <laughs> and that's what I really, I really like in a lot of Māori mythology, how there's, there's quite an element of truth to it. And <laughs> what they're talking about actually does happen. And then there's this cool sort of mythical story, which sort of brings things into reality. Well, what I love about mythology is that it's like, if you don't have science yet, if you haven't invented ways to prove something yet, I mean, it, it's a pretty, it, the stories make sense. It's like, mm. oh, well, why do, why do we keep getting stung by mosquitoes? Oh, you know what? I bet some human, I bet our human god killed a mosquito one day, and that's why mosquitoes are after us. Ah, oh, that's probably mm. what it is. Mm. <laughs> way easier to accept isn't it way easier yeah and it's like yeah that's the thing that's what humans do we tell stories now speaking, speaking of stories of, speaking of 
yeah, we're getting so right. good with our transitions, huh? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, no, like we're, we're really getting into a good rhythm with these podcasts, if I do say so myself. Episode episode four, five, six is where it's at, listeners. <laughs> and if you haven't heard episode one yet, you probably should, just to know what we're talking about. If you're a completionist. <laughs> mm, of course. So what do you got for us? Well, today I really feel like uh, I've talked about the Milford track um, on this podcast before, and I only worked a single season on the Milford track, uh, whereas uh, when it comes to the Rupert track, I worked four summers and one winter. And so I've got a way closer bond with that track and the people that work on that track and whatnot. Um, and I haven't even talked about it, so I feel like I need to talk about the Root Burn track. So right. we're going for a double a double banger today, because uh, the the first story is um, about when I took my parents on the track for the first time, uh, and then the second story is my favourite story from my time guiding on the track. So you're going to tell a story that involves Jeremy. I am friend of the, the podcast, first. Jeremy Wilson. This will be the first. Um, so next we, um, week, next week we got to get Jeremy on the podcast so he can tell I his, do, I do his version so. of it. <laughs> well, no, this this one there's no real insults or anything like that to be said. Um, oh, it's a fairly standard Jeremy story, um, and it kind of actually talks of him in a good light, which is kind of strange. No grumpiness or, at all. No, no. Which is yeah, I know. I all know. right, you're a good son. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, without further ado, Mark, take us on a mesh. All righty, folks. So a few years back, about 16 now, uh, I was making cabinets, as you may have heard, and then uh, everything changed and I became a guide on the Rootburn track. Now, a big thing that drew me towards the Rootburn track is the fact that the old man, uh, my father Jeremy, he'd walked the track when he was a youngster and um, he did it guided and it just really left a massive impression on him. So uh, it was about 16 years ago, we were looking through uh, the Sitzvake for jobs and there was a job advertised for Ultimate Hikes and Ultimate Hikes, they run walks on the Greenstone, Rootburn and Milford tracks. I thought that would be probably a lot better than putting cabinets together. I think I'll give that a go. Uh, now instantly from day one it was like this is unbelievable, uh, this is work really and you'd get paid for it which boggled mind along with them um, just being out in the wilderness for three or six days at a time. So that was cool, but then also the people that worked on the track, because of their similar backgrounds, they instantly become friends, and a lot of those people have become uh, lifelong friends now that I still associate with to this day, and um, all due to the fact that they have very similar interests, so when you finish your adventures, you can go on another adventure with these preset friends that you have that work as guides. So all was going well on the track, and... It got into, so 2008, started on the track, 2009, uh, the parents booked and they were going to come and walk the track along with my sister and the man that would go on to be my brother-in-law, which is uh, Paul. So 
they came down from Christchurch and I met them in Queenstown and we went out for our dinner the night before and then in the morning everyone assembled at the station building which is Ultimate Hikes base in Queenstown and this was the first time they would see me at work which is very similar to me at play so <laughs> everything was pretty good. Uh, now we have to go from Queenstown to Tiano and that's about a two hour drive and then we have a little break and from there then you head into Fiordland National Park and you get to a place known as the Divide. Now the Divide is one of the lowest passes in all of the Southern Alps and the Southern Alps depending on who you ask uh, is a mountain range of many mountain ranges that stretches the entire length of the South Island and that's what you have to get up and over to get from the east to the west coast so the divide is a very low point in that mountain range and the divide is where the rootburn track starts so we all arrive in rain and to some that would be terrible as to some walking in the rain is a near-death experience well that's at least what they make it seem like now, but fjordland is one of the wettest places on the planet some regard it as the fourth wettest part of the world so rain is very common and you can't have a rainforest without rain so we weren't bothered some of the people in the party were but we weren't bothered at all and uh, off we go on the rootburn track and we start our trip by going up to key summit and key summit is a high altitude location and as you can imagine with the rain you're very exposed to the weather and I love it. I love having the rain smash you in the face because we are walking towards a lodge which has a drying room, hot shower and hot food. So what have you got to be worried about? Sometimes it's quite hard to drill that into the client, the walker's head, but eventually a lot of them get it and they can actually enjoy walking in the rain. A little bit of singing in the rain if they want to. So we carried on and we went back down to where we have a little bit of lunch at a place known as Howden Hut. Now unfortunately Howden Hut does not exist anymore uh, due to that very thing, the rain. And the rain was so much one day that a massive landslide came down and with people in the hut, it actually took the hut, uh, some parts of it, off its foundation. So as you can imagine wow. that would be a rather interesting experience for the people in the hut. But all of that will be another tale that I will tell another day. So at this stage, the hut was there and it had a cup of tea waiting for everyone. And then after the hut, we continued on towards the largest waterfall seen on the track. Now that's Erland Falls. And it's a drop of around 100 meters. And when you add a little bit of rainfall into it, it becomes amazing. So when you get near the waterfall, you're getting blasted by the waterfall and so if you weren't wet before you're definitely going to be wet after and um, this is where you really test how much you enjoy being in nature and if you love that sort of thing it is absolutely stunning uh, if you don't sorry you're going to be wet anyway <laughs> so from Erland Falls you, you continue along and you get to a place known as Lake Mackenzie and for some, that's the most scenic place in the world, really. It's a big alpine lake surrounded by mountains. And 
at this stage we couldn't see the mountains because um, it was all clouded in but we wouldn't have to wait too long because the next day we actually got some mountain views and we made our way along the Hollyford face and the Hollyford face that's high above the Hollyford Valley and it gives you views of the Darren Mountains which over time has become my favorite place in the world just due to how steep and spectacular they really are now from the Hollyford face you get to the Harris shelter and it's there that you drop packs and ascend conical hill now conical hill is no hill for most hills are merely mounds this thing is a proper mountain and it sits at around 15 15 meters above sea level and from the summit you can actually look out and see the ocean so is it, is it a hill or a mountain it's a mountain they call it conical hill they call it conical hill so, so just it's, um, I, I, it sounds like it's probably cone shaped am i correct it is indeed yep it's a it's a fairly steep climb though and um for some it might be the only mountain they ever climb in their life um mm. and it is epic one more imaginatively named place once again yeah yeah of course <laughs> Of course. Well, get this. Uh, after you climb Conical Hill, you then return to your pack and make your way down to Falls Lodge. Now, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to throw it out to you, Cam. Why do you reckon it's called Falls Lodge? Because it's where you fall down because you're so tired. You fall down in exhaustion uh, and you swing your pack down when you walk in the door, right? Well, Cam, you've let me down. I thought you would get it right. <laughs> no, of course, you know why it's called Falls Lodge, because there is a waterfall beside it. And that's as far as imagination goes when it uh, comes down to naming things. Uh, now, one thing I didn't mention at the start is that on this trip on the Rootburn track, I'd actually be a client. So um, instead of being a guide, I was actually just with the guides, with the company, walking as if I was a client, but there was many occasions where I actually stepped in just naturally and started working. And so when we got to Falls Lodge, um, that's where you have a massive piece of steak. And the guides used to cook it before the renovations and the lodges were made incredibly fancy. They would be in an open kitchen. So the people would literally see you right in front of them cooking their steak. And to those who like steak, it is a, uh, a very uh, sought-after meal and if you like your steak medium rare you want your steak medium rare and you're watching the person cook it for you and you can add in your two cents if you want um, so when we got to Falls Lodge the guides they didn't make me but I just enjoy cooking steaks that challenge so as a client I cooked all the steaks for people <laughs> um, and I think I went pretty well and then afterwards there is a tradition which I believe has stopped and um, for people who have worked on the Rootburn track, sort of pre-now, uh, they would all remember the Pancake Challenge. Now the challenge is where for dessert we have pancakes, and the tradition which has been going for many years was to get the pancake in the pan and then throw it over your head for the customer to catch behind you. And... I'm guessing it's because of health and safety, because there was a f couple of accidents. People, one actual person went through the wall. 
because they lost their balance trying to catch a pancake <laughs> and crashed into a wall. Um, so, of course, I got involved in that and was throwing pancakes, um, and it was a great night. And, yeah, it's sad that I don't think they do that anymore. Uh, so the next day, that's the last day of this three-day trip, and you make your way down from Falls Lodge into the Rootburn Valley, hence the name, the Rootburn Track. And not as challenging as the last couple of days, so you do get some time to sort of take in the views, enjoy where you are. Um, you actually have a little stop off where you can go for a swim, and then afterwards you get to the Rootburn Shelter, the end of the track, and it's from the track you go to Glen Orkey, and it's at the pub. You have yourself a celebration drink um, before continuing back to Queenstown. And uh, it's at Queenstown that you used to. You don't get any um, certificate in Queenstown anymore. You actually get it in Glen Orkey. But you used to go and have a meal. And so that's where you sort of unwind and talk about the adventure that you've just had. The big thing I say about the Rootburn track is when forced to say what is your favourite track, because a big answer I usually give is one I haven't walked before. <laughs> but for the people who don't accept that answer, um, the best bang for buck walk, I think, in New Zealand is the Rootburn Track. Because within three days and around 30 kilometres, you've gone from a, uh, a really lush rainforest into a high alpine setting to then end in a... Uh, an almost farm-like setting, which mm. is the end of the track, because you're getting back towards civilization, and that all happens within three days, a very short amount of time. So, of the tracks that I'd say, if I was forced to, that this is my favourite, um, definitely the Rootburn track would be right up there. Mm. Uh, so, I walked it uh, over those four years as a guide, and uh, one year as a lodge manager, 124 times. And I can say, walking it 124 times, it never got old. And it doesn't include the times that in my spare time, I would go back and explore the other parts uh, around the Rootburn track. And I like to always put that as, when I used to work at McDonald's, I don't think in my spare time I would have brought my friends or gone solo back to see the uh, the fry machine or <laughs> where the burgers are flipped. So, um, yeah, like we, what I, I really put out to people uh, is the whole thing of if you find a job where you really enjoy it, it finds hard to call it a job because so many people think of a job as being something you don't want to do, mm. uh, but you have to do it because that's life. So... Just keep that in your mind, kids, when you're thinking of a career. Do something you love, and you'll never work a second in your life. That's right. You listen yeah. to Uncle Mark. That's right. That's right. And that's the end of the first part of the story. Okay. And now the second part of the story is one of my favorite times walking the track as a guide. Um, many clients and many awesome people that are from walks of life that you would never, ever associate with back in the real world because there just wouldn't be a real reason to so um some very cool people from all over the world and one person that really sticks in my mind i'm not going to mention by name um just due to you don't want to 
put her name out to anyone in case they didn't want you to tell the story. So this person I'm just going to call Cameron. <laughs> Cameron okay. is this person's name. Okay. And now Cameron uh, is from Australia, and Cameron came to Aotearoa, New Zealand, to walk the Grand Traverse with Ultimate Hikes. Now, the Grand Traverse is when you combine the Greenstone Track with the Rootburn Track. And that makes it a six-day, five-night walk, which has four lodges that you visit along the way. So when we start our trips as guides, we would get a list of medical conditions that some of the walkers will have, some things that we need to be aware of. Now, Cameron, on his medical form, had put down that he had very severe Parkinson's disease, and if there was any issues, send for a body bag. That was literally what he wrote down <laughs> on his medical requirements. So, of course, we see that and we start talking. We think, isn't so Parkinson's and the most sort of famous cases of Parkinson's would be probably Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox. Yeah. And so you think, OK, that's from what I know, that's quite a severe uh, thing to have. This is going to be a challenge. But, of course, a challenge is something that we all are always up for and you get a guide to take you on the track because maybe you don't feel at ease going to a place as wild as Fiordland or Mount Spire National Park by yourself. So our job is to get people through and if they're people that are less abled, it just makes the challenge all mm. more satisfying when it's finished. But even us, there was a few quite experienced guides. Now this was in my third season as a guide and um, one of the other guides I have with me, she was on about her fifth season. And so we're thinking, all right, this is going to be a bit of a challenge, but we think we can do it, so let's go. And it was about an hour into the walk where Cameron, um, he had his first major stumble. Now, his stumble required his knees being patched up. And it was while we were repairing his knees, he gave me the best description of Parkinson's that I've ever heard, which really made it come home and really made it sort of give me an idea of what it's like to live with that disease. And he said, don't think of me shaking. So think of me trying to walk and the entire world is shaking. And that's what it's like. So you're trying to get away, your way around, say, a big rock or something like that. But that rock is shaking and all over the show and you're trying to step your way around it. So... When I heard that, I really thought, wow, this is, this is going to be a real challenge. Um, but, of course, we, we want this guy to get through it. So we get to our first lodge, and we've repaired him once. And he's, he's a little bit battered and bruised, but still feeling okay. Um, and then the next day, you make your way further into the wilderness, and the lodge you get to, you actually stay at for two days. So you have a rest day. Um, and for some people, uh, the rest day is exactly that. You are resting and not doing much at all. Um, but for the others that are keen, there are side trips that you can take. And of course, for Cameron, um, he felt it from the last couple of days. So he had a rest and it was on the evening, knowing that the next day he was about to set off and tackle the Rootburn track, uh, that he got the guys together and he said, look, I know that I'm a bit of a burden uh, on the team and this guy was he was quite wealthy he had done well in um, Australia with 
what he did. Um, so he had no problems with getting a helicopter to come in and uh, sort of remove him from the situation because he felt like he was a bit of a burden on the team. Now, we immediately looked at each other and then looked at him and just said, do you th think you can do this trip? And, and, you know, do you want to do this trip? And, of course, he wanted to do the trip, but he didn't think he could do it. And we said, right, well, well what if we take all of your gear and then for the next three days we will assign a person to you. Now, that person will walk with you the entire day. You don't need to worry about the rest of the team. Uh, also, we'll make sure that you leave a little bit earlier than the team, uh, just to give you a little bit more time to get through the track. And so he agreed with that. And he thought, okay, that's, that's going to work. But he always said, you know, if needed, I don't mind paying the about two grand, I believe it was, for the helicopter to come out and pick him up. Because uh, he wasn't injured, so to speak, so it wasn't mm. an emergency situation or anything. Uh, but each day we would set off about an hour before the rest of the team, and then, of course, the rest of the team would catch up and pass. But now they were well aware of this challenge that uh, Cameron was facing just to get through the track. So at each lodge for the next couple of nights, the team would hear that Cameron was approaching. They would all come out, and they would all just cheer him on as he came into the lodge yeah. and um, it just became a big experience for everybody now just to make sure that he got through so the next day we uh, went through what we did with my parents so we went up from Mackenzie onto the Hollyford face the most exposed part of the trip the most uh, highest elevation that you get to and of course Cameron set off early and then everyone caught up and passed him but at Falls Lodge, the next night, everybody was waiting for him to come down. Everybody cheered him in. And he even got to partake in the pancake toss. I don't think he caught it, but uh, <laughs> he was still there. And then, of course, the next day, last day of the trip, um, everyone took their time and we made sure that we all finished together. And I can tell you, Cam, when we, uh, we were handing out the certificates, we we did the whole thing where we get to usually there's a person on the trip or on my trips usually that we would purposely not give a certificate to just so everyone would be like hey wait a minute what about yo and everyone knew we were going to do this <laughs> and uh, when he came up to get a certificate there was definitely some tears um, amongst the team just because what he'd gone through um, and it was still to this day one of the most satisfying things i've ever done just to get this guy through um it was a real test of being a guide because that's what we were there for we were there to help people who maybe felt that it was a, a tough challenge um and for this guy with parkinson's it was right up there and like i said when he told me that aspect of your you're not shaking the world is shaking yeah and it really made me think about other parts of the track and how challenging that would be for him. Um, but with us there by his side, and there were sections where I would just get him to just grip my shoulder and I'd go ahead and I'd feel him like start to topple behind me. You just do what you can do to keep him up. And there was a few occasions where he did fall over, like on that first day, and we had to patch him up. But um, man, it was worth it. That's beautiful. Just to get him through at the end.
it was very very cool that is absolutely beautiful like that's yeah that's just so wholesome and and wonderful and just a good example of like good people being good people you know mm-hmm. and it, it it makes you just love being a guide it really does it makes it a really cool satisfying job no that's that, that's lovely and so the root boom oh. track i tell you it, it's a real must um for buffs who love the wilderness but um, like the Milford Track, um, if you heard the story, our story about the Milford Track, um, you've got to get in quick. It sells out so quickly. Even with COVID, it was still selling out with just New Zealand folk here. So, um, yeah, you've you got to get in quick because it is that popular. Yeah. Well, bravo on this week's one. I really liked that one. Excellent. Thank All you very right. much. Now, as always... It's uh, one of our most popular segments. It's mm. Talking Toreo with Mark and Cam. Ooh, that was a good one. I could have kept going. That was good. Um, now, listeners, uh, if you're just tuning in for the very first time, I don't know why you'd choose episode six to jump in, but that's all right. Um, in this segment, uh, I will be... Uh, spelling a Toreo Māori word to Mark. Uh, Mark will then pronounce the word as best he can uh, with the traditional Māori pronunciation, uh, followed up with the uh, butchering, as we like to call it, of the standard New Zealand pronunciation, uh, which will then be followed by me doing the confused North American pronunciation. Uh, it's just just a bit of fun. Now we had some feedback sorry, about. Sorry about the beeps. The beeps coming through. Oh, this um, is the most popular segment. I'm not surprised. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's, of course. It's, yeah. it's all of our listeners listening, listening live. It's going off. Just, just it's chiming in. Off. Yeah, of course. <laughs> now we had a little bit of feedback about this segment. Um, the comment was made uh, that it's very interesting that two very white guys are uh, having a segment yes. on correct correct pronunciation of Toreo Maori. Um, to which I say, um, let us know. Uh, if we make any mistakes, because that's what mm. we're trying to do. We're trying to pronounce it correctly. Uh, follow us at Bushwhack Pod, uh, <laughs> uh, Facebook slash NZ Hikes. Uh, maybe leave us a review uh, and and put that in the comment and correct us. Mm. Um, leave that those five star reviews. We see really easily. Um, mm. Yeah, just I'm just saying, like, yeah, help us out. Yeah. And no, no, um, like we're not trying to be insulting or anything like that it's just a new zealand thing so if if you're in new zealand you kind of know what we're talking about and we know that there's some people who are kind of against how much tarao is getting introduced into society um and it's just the way of life so to those people we're trying to be like hey look it's you know it's okay but maybe you know, give the correct pronunciation a try. Yeah, and it's it's maybe. what makes it's what makes us us. You mm. know, like intro, like so, like more. Let's get more more Maori culture and and language into New Zealand society. As far as I'm concerned, it, like it gives mm. it gives Aotearoa like a beautiful flavour. If you know what I mean. Mm. Now, anyway, <clears throat> now this is a place name. Uh, it's the name of a lake. You did use it last episode, and. The lake name goes W-A-K-A-T-I-P-A. 
you. Wakatipu. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I did hear the, the, the buzz, the incorrect pronunciation thing that uh, I got when I pronounced it on the last podcast. No, two, two, I think it's two podcasts ago. So I knew this was coming, folks. I knew this would be brought up. So um, I'm getting schooled myself. Uh, points out of 10, Cam? Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to give you a 4 out of 10. Yeah, I thought uh, that was good. Yeah, for this yeah. week's pronunciation, because uh, actually it is pronounced Wakatipu, uh, because as we know the Maori vowels are a, e, i, o, u. So once again, that would be Wakatipu. Uh, but as we've discussed, customary, the more English pronunciation, uh, as Mark would put it. Mark, what is it again? Well, well, we can go, we can go even further. So, oh. there are people out there who would really go out of their way to do some butchering, as we've mentioned, uh, and walk a tip. <laughs> they don't even pronounce the U. There's, there's no U mentioned. Um, and once again, like with Tiano, like we were saying with Tiano, like if you've grown up your entire life, and that's what people. You know, your your elders, your folks have said, and that's what your family said, or your friends. Like, that's not, we're not saying that that's wrong, because that's just all you know. But, um, yeah, waka tip is a lot different to how it should actually be pronounced, considering you've taken a, uh, a letter off it as well. <laughs> I love that they just take a letter off of it, too. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Now, um, yeah. <clears throat> here's, uh, here's the confused North American. <clears throat> Uh, let me just get, get into character here. <clears throat> um, Wakatapu. <laughs> hey, hey, buddy. Do you know the way to Wakatapu? I'm, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at <laughs> Doris, I'm asking, I'm asking. Wakatapu. No, I, I don't, I, he's just looking at me, Doris. I don't know. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> It's gold. It is gold. And I can just imagine someone like you, like with 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 a North American tourist just blinking at him, like trying to figure out what he means. Like and you're not trying to be rude, but you're literally just Okay, where where does he where Because where, this has happened to me when I was in New Zealand. Mm. Like one mm. time one time I'm <laughs> and this is when I was at high school. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the story. So one time I'm I'm in high school and I'm like riding my bike to school and I'm waiting at the corner for friends to show up on their bikes so we can all arrive at school together because that's really important, obviously, when you're in high school. Cool. And um, so I'm waiting there and this guy walks up to me. He's got a backpack on and he looks, you know, scraggly. He's a traveler. And he comes up to me and he's like, hey, hey, do you know, do you know where Lytledon is? And I'm like, and I just stared at him. I remember like with my mouth agape, just staring at him because you don't often hear the accent, obviously. And I'm like, Lytleton, Lytleton. And then I realized that I was on Littleton Street and mm. Littleton is a completely separate town over the hill <laughs> from Christchurch. So this poor guy, I worked out later, he thought he was going to a town called Littleton. So he went to Littleton Street, <laughs> not knowing that it was Lyttelton. And I remember, I still feel guilty about this because I gave him very vague directions about having to go through a tunnel. And then I sort of pointed him towards the hill <laughs> and, said, <laughs> and said, go that way. <laughs> 
and he was never seen again. And he was never seen again. Yeah. No, I know. I, 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 as I like at school that day, I sort of thought to myself, "Oh, that's what he was getting at." Oh, yeah. I really should have given him better directions. Yeah. Oh, feedback coming in already about talking to Rayo. Yep. Wow. Wow. And I, I think that's that walker tip thing. Maybe that's got people stirred up. <laughs> They're riled up. Oh boy, got the masses talking. <laughs> Oh, very good. So, um, what have you got for us next week, anyway, Mark? Oh well, Cam. Um, I'm thinking that when it's all said and done, we've talked a little bit about our little trip into a valley that bears your name. So, I'm thinking oh, you really need to get get your side of the story lined up, <laughs> and um, I'll get my side of this because there has been a little bit of controversy uh, over the years. Now, this is quite. It's about six years ago i believe now um so uh it involves both of us which is always good um and it involves a little bit of drama things got a little bit interesting that's all i'm gonna say now uh do you want to do this that you tell your version first and then i tell my version or should i tell my version first and then you tell your version i think what we'll do is actually on the day we'll have a coin toss something like that okay perfect and then then and then we'll just let it play out like that that's probably the way to go i love it as the person in charge of editing the podcast i'm definitely (laughs) keen for this contest yeah so if you notice that like the voice cuts out halfway through and then starts with his story you'll know what's going on all right so because his his story's completely it's all lies anyway sorry i'm saying too much moving on There'll be so many times where it'll just be, uh, now listeners, Cam here, uh, just chiming in here. Uh, Mark doesn't know I've edited this part in. He won't hear this until the episode is released. Uh, that was a lie. Uh, yeah, I'd like to call BS on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Cool. All right. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll, uh, I'll have to get my thoughts together about exactly how I tell this because I've told this story many times and I love it. Mm. So, mm. Nah, awesome. Are we all, we're all pretty much done then? Yeah, we are. All right, wonderful. Well, anyway, as always, uh, thank you for listening to us again, dear listeners. Uh, Episode six, um, as I said before, I really think we've found our footing. Um, I'm really enjoying doing these podcasts, and I'm I'm really enjoying that you guys are here listening with us as well. Um, So, yeah, as always, uh, follow uh, Mark's adventures, nzhikes.co.nz, Instagram, nzhikes.co.nz facebook slash nzhikes uh follow us on twitter if elon musk hasn't destroyed it yet uh by the time you hear this it's uh <laughs> it's at bushwhacked pod um and yeah any emails uh bushwhacked not the wrestlers at gmail.com uh yeah let us know you're listening um apparently someone in bhutan the kingdom of bhutan listens to us so let us know who Brilliant. you are <laughs> Hello, Bhutan. Hello, Bhutan. And um, as always, uh, activeheartsfoundation.org, that's uh, our favorite charity. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, uh, and I've got my book out now. Yes, so tell, us, tell us again about yes. the book, Mark. So to purchase uh, On a Mission, Happy Hikes and Hurt Hips, simply head to nzhikes.co.nz and a small scroll will take you to a buy now and you can buy the book now all of the proceeds made so anything made above paying back the publishing company it all goes to active hearts now this is for getting me to nepal and also the work in nepal Um, so it's for a good cause so it's a bit of a double whammy you get yourself a book 
which I think is quite cool. Uh, and also you get to help people in the third poorest country in the world. But I believe it's right up there tied with the first most beautiful country in the world. So those guys out there, great people. They need your help. And it's as simple as buying a book. Very good. Now, speaking of books, I almost forgot our special prize draw. Now, big thank you to everybody um, for your response to this, for um, giving us a, to everyone who gave us a five-star review uh, and sent us proof of that five-star review. Um, a number of you left five-star reviews and didn't send us proof that you left a five-star mm. review. So um, mm. thank, thank you to you guys. Thank you. All right, so I've plugged all of the names into the random picker here and pushing enter. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Bevan Hayward. You have uh, oh, you have won yourself a copy of Mark's book. There we go. There we go. Um, so, uh, Bevan, please contact us uh, through the usual channels, and uh, Mark will arrange delivery of that book to you. Wonderful. So, uh, I guess that's all we've got for today. Um, as always, please consider giving us a five-star review. Um, it is important. And uh, if you like hearing us, why not, right? Takes you, takes you a couple of moments. This is uh, Cam Clark with Mark Wilson saying uh, goodbye. Akite, folks. <laughs>